Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. To just tell you how blessed we are to have Jeffrey Smith and Amy Smith as our pastors. They are two of the finest people. I was just thinking in the back when they were laying their hands on these children, people really know what's behind that. But they're such a blessing. I love them so much. I have the distinct privilege today of being able to uh, be the first part in a series entitled The Experience. And Today we're going to get right with it, family. We're going to go to Luke, the 15th chapter, and verse 11. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And uh, many of us throughout our lifetimes have been prodigal sons and daughters. Verse 11 says, And a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days thereafter, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. And when he had spent all that he had, he arose, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and, he, and the citizen sent him into the fields to feed the swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, everybody say that with me. When he came to him, say it again. When he came to himself, are you crazy? Sin makes you insane. So when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when his father was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. A Texas rooster visited Africa. And while on the trip, he was introduced to an ostrich. And for the first time, he saw an ostrich egg. He was able to acquire the ostrich egg and take it back with him to Texas. 
So the next morning when he went into the barnyard, he called all the hens, said, girls, come on around. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I just want you to see what's being done in other places. Paul said, we dare not make ourselves of the number of some that compare themselves among themselves and measure themselves by themselves, therefore they are not wise. The whole part that we must understand about this teaching about two sons is there's to be no comparison. You can't compare positions in relation to the father that are not correct. And both of these positions are incorrect. One's no better, one's no worse than the other. Isaiah 59 said, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. See, the point is this. You don't ever want to be in a position where things are not right with God, where you're not in proper fellowship with God. There's no good, no bad, no better, no worse. When you're not in proper fellowship with God, it's not acceptable. So there's no one, I don't think, qualified better to teach on the prodigal son than someone who has been one. And I've wandered away from my father's house. I left the abundance of my father's house as a, a young man to inherit the wastelands and the dregs of society. I watched as not only my life crumbled and fell apart, but I watched as the lives of my friends fell apart and two of my best friends lost their lives in that struggle. In this parable, it's important to understand that the father represented here is our heavenly father. And that the eldest brother, he is in one way representative of the Jewish people while the younger, wilder son representative of the Gentile people. But in this particular teaching, we are looking at two sons. One has a religious position and not a relational position. The other is wild and raging. And he wants it all and he wants it all right now. The prodigal is volatile and unpredictable and impatient and unrestrained. He's raging and he's willing to push it all to the middle of the table to have what he wants and have it right now. He represents all of us, those of us who wander away from God, those of us who lose our way, those of us who decide not to live in the Father's house fully, but to still have the relationship at a distance, but not to be fully engaged in the Father's house. And we are shown that his riot and his ramble and his extravagance of misery is available to everyone that pursues that course of action. There was a little two-year-old boy, his name was Franklin, and he was a real corker, and his mom was kind of looking in on him, peeping, peeping in the, the door of the living room to see how he was doing, and 
She noted him pulling a chair over to the window and climbing up in that chair. And he was standing looking out the window going, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. In a loving, beautiful home where he was cared for and loved. But the only thing this little child, two years old, could see was that they were trapped and felt enslaved and imprisoned and needed to get away. This wild, raging son felt trapped. He felt he was a slave. He was weary of his father's government. He was weary of the order and the discipline of his father's family. You see, Peyton, Satan will take liberty and shroud it in a painting and a picture. But what we don't see is the painting and the picture until it's unshrouded. When liberty is unshrouded, it turns out to be slavery to sin. He was impatient of the confinement of his religious education. You know how the Bible says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. He was tired of that. I know what's right. I know what I need, to, I need to do, but I'm tired of that. I don't want to be confined anymore by the word of God or by morals or by the teachings of the church. I want it all and I want it now. He was unwilling to stay under his father's watchful eye. Here's a powerful one. He became distrustful of the father's management of his life. And he thought he could do a better job. He was proud and he was self-sufficient. He said, I want my portion because I believe I can do a better father, a job than my father is doing. You see, our first parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they ruined themselves in the same way with their foolish ambition to be independent and not be beholding to God. And they ruined it all for all of us. But his father was a kind man. And he sat down and computed what he had to dispose of between his two sons. Remember, only one asked for his portion, the younger, but he divided it up and offered it to both. He offered the elder his double portion, but he would not receive it. You know, my wife and I, I remember when we were young, we read a book. I don't remember the name of the lady that wrote it, but she was hilarious. But the book was entitled, The Grass is Always Greener Over the Septic Tank. So the father is so kind, he gives the prodigal his portion, offers the elder son his double portion, but he refuses to take it. He says, Father, I want you to keep it in your hands. And it paid off because in verse 31, a little later in this story, when he was dialoguing with the elder brother, he said, all that I have is thine. You only trusted me and entrusted me with a portion, but everything that I have is yours. 
He got it all by staying for something in reserve. See, the younger didn't want that, that uh, delayed gratification. He wanted it then and he wanted it now. I want everything I have coming to me and I want it now. But the elder son kept something in reserve. Galatians 6 and 7 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You see, the father's kindness was shown in his willingness and his painful compliance. Why was it painful? Because you didn't ask for your inheritance until after the death of the father. The young prodigal was saying, you're dead to me. Your teachings are dead to me. Your ideas and your ideologies and your philosophies and the way you think and the way you live are dead to me. And I want nothing more to do with them. So the father was painfully aware of the future folly of his son and his inability to be able to wisely manage what he was giving him. But in all of that pain, he still gave it. You see, the Father will not prevent you and I from going astray. The Father will not prevent you and I from leaving his love and living outside of his love. Verse 13 said, not many days thereafter. Can you say that with me? Not many days thereafter. You know, it doesn't take long when you get outside the Father's love and when you get outside the Father's house for the enemy to start pulling the cloak of slavery back and letting you see what it looks like. You see, when the bridle of restraining grace is removed, you find that extravagant misery that I spoke of earlier. He hit rock bottom. He felt the pain of loneliness, the pain of brokenness, the pain of addiction, the pain of emptiness, the pain of starvation, the pain of being imprisoned. And this is the fate of everyone who goes astray from the Father's restraining grace. When one goes astray, they venture it all. Just think about it. You're taking everything for a few minutes or for a few hours or for one affair or one unacceptable event in your life and you're pushing it all to the middle of the table and you're venturing it all. And I noted eight issues that arose in this prodigal's life. And I want to give those to you today. So a sinful state produces these eight states in your life. Number one, a state of departure. That's when you put distance between you and distance between the Father's love. That's when you say, I don't value your word anymore. I don't value your government anymore. I don't value your watchful eye anymore. I don't value your restraining grace anymore. And apostasy sets in. And when apostasy sets in, you get as far from God and as far from his house as you can get. The second state that I see produced 
in this prodigal's life is a state of spending. He became wasteful with his substance. The Bible said he wasted his fortune on harlots and riotous living. And, and the riotous living devoured his fortune and his future and his destiny. He misemployed his thoughts. He misemployed his powers. He misemployed his talents. He misemployed his time. And he misemployed his opportunity. Satan and all of his pseudo friends devoured and embezzled his fortune right before his eyes. You see, the gifts of providence that the father gave to the son, they were entrusted him to him. They were not meant to become the fuel for selfish lusts. The third state I see is a state of wanting. Verse 14, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he was in want. When you get out of the Father's love and you get away from the Father's house, it won't be long until there, be, there will be lean days in your life. You see, a good husbandman, those of us who are trying to do everything we know to do for God, a good husbandman or husbandry, takes care and cultivates and properly manages the crops and properly manages the animals and properly manages the, con the, conversa the con uh, conservation of resources. We properly manage the crops, the animals, and the resources. But a bad husbandry produces willful waste and woeful want. You just willfully began to waste and get rid of and turn loose of and waste all that you have, producing misery and barrenness and brokenness and famine and wretchedness in his life. So the state of departure and the state of spending, the state of wanting produced number four, a state, a state of servitude. He found himself in slavery. He was a slave to sin. The Bible said in the middle of this great famine, verse 15, that he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. People, you need to be careful who you join yourself to. Some of you need a nice big pair of Holy Ghost scissors. And you just need to start snipping some of the things that you have joined yourself to in life. This man sent him out into the field to feed the swine. Can you think about this for a moment? From the father's love, from the father's house, from all that the father gave him and all that the family offered him, he finds himself with greedy, dirty, smelly, noisy swine. A slave, which produced a state of perpetual dissatisfaction. Verse 16, he would have fainted 
if he had not filled his belly with the husks which the swine did eat. Listen to this. I considered it carefully when I wrote it. He became a fellow commoner with the swine. When you lay down with the swine and wallow with the swine, you become a fellow commoner with the swine. Matthew 7 and 6 says, Do not give that which is righteous to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under feet and then they will turn and tear you to pieces. And Peter said it'd be better for you to have never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned from the commandment of the Lord. You're like a dog returning to your own vomit or a sow, a pig that has been cleaned and washed to her wallowing in the mire. So when you lay down with and wallow with the swine, you become a fellow commoner with the swine. People husks and the filth that the swine wallow in are meant for swine, not men. He was dissatisfied with the swine, dissatisfied with the husks, dissatisfied with the wind that was blowing across his life and the ashes that it had produced. And sixthly, it produced a state of begging. The Bible said that he could not earn his bread, so he was reduced to a beggar. Can you see what happens when you come out from under the love of the Father? When you come out of the Father's house, all of a sudden having the abundance of everything life had to offer, and now he's been reduced to begging bread. But you know what the Bible said? But no man gave him anything. They looked at him and said he brought this on himself and he was given nothing. I considered this statement. I think it's important. That which poisoned his soul could not take care of him, feed him, or nourish him. That produced a state of death, number seven. He was dead in trespasses and sin. And he realized, I'm just a dead man. It's all gone. Everything's gone. I've wasted it all. I've run through it all. It's all devoured and vanished. I have no future. I have no one to turn to. I have nowhere to turn. He was dead. A state of death, dead in trespasses and sin, destitute of any spiritual life, destitute of the Father's love, destitute of the Father's abundance, destitute of the Father's words. He could no longer even remember the beautiful things the Father had taught him. He was destitute of any union with the Father whatsoever. Leading finally and lastly to 
the eighth state, a state of madness. Sin produces insanity. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who was destroying their life in real time? You might as well be talking to a wall. I reasoned with a young man a couple of years ago. I would give him this reason. I don't care. What about your family and their rep? I don't care. What about I don't care? I don't care. Completely insane to everything in life. And verse 17 said, when he came to himself, the Holy Spirit will let you go on a long rope. But at some point, the Holy Spirit is going to yank that rope. And when the Holy Spirit tugged that rope, he came to himself. He was in a state of frenzy, completely beside himself. And the rambler had become a raging man of madness. And all of a sudden he realized it and said, Oh God, there's only one cure for this. Only one cure for your madness and your lostness. He said, I will arise. Hallelujah. I will arise and go to my father's house. And he said, many, how many servants in my father's house do not have bread to eat? He said, the whole family has bread. There's bread to spare. There's an abundance there. And following these eight states of sin came the most important thing of all, repentance. I will confess my faults and my folly to my father. And I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. What does all that mean? He was saying, I have forfeited all the privileges of family and father. He wasn't denying his relationship with the father, but rather acknowledging his forfeiture of any additional benefits from the family or the father. He said, I'm not worthy. And you know what he reduced it all down to? Just let me be a doorkeeper in your house. Just receive me and let me back in. Verse 20, when the father saw him a great way off, he ran to him. The father's eyes of grace saw him afar off. The father's eyes of grace saw him before anyone else saw him. The father's eyes of grace saw him before anyone else even knew he was coming home. The father's eyes of grace 
are always there. That's why James 4 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. Here's something I want you to get today because many of you are going to take this to heart and make a decision. Going home is the most important decision that you can ever make. Going home is the most important decision that you could ever make. He could have lived at home in the Father's love. He could have possessed the identity perpetually that he had when he was in the Father's love. He knew he was a beloved child of the Father. He knew he had safety and security, but he made a choice. He could have rejected the alternative to live outside the Father's love. He could have rejected the fact that there would be no intimacy with the Father outside of his love. He could have rejected the alternative of wastefulness and squandering of his fortune. But he chose not to because we have a choice. But I want you to remember this today. You will never fall so far that the Father cannot and will not restore you. J. Stuart Holden was a Scottish millionaire. He had a beautiful mansion in the Highlands. One of the rooms of that mansion was filled with art all over all four walls. It was a continuous mural. How did it begin? It began one day when someone spilled a pitcher of soda on the wall and left this unsightly stain. So one day when Lord Landseer was visiting him, a renowned artist, they all went for a ride to run the dogs, but Lord Landseer decided to stay there in the palace, the mansion. And after they left, he took a piece of charcoal and outlined the stain, the unsightly stain that was on the wall. Then he began to draw artistically a beautiful waterfall and began to expand it out to beautiful trees and foliage and livestock. And over the years, people came. Great artists from all around the world would go into that room, and they would keep adding to it and adding to it until it was one of the most famous rooms in any mansion or any home anywhere. What had he done, Lord Landseer? He had taken a disfigured wall and used it as a canopy to paint one of the most beautiful pictures you could ever imagine. Today you may feel the stains of sin and leaving the Father's house on your life, but God wants to take that disfigured wall and he wants to do something with it. He wants to create a depiction of his love upon your life. You've got two men here. We don't compare them, but the elder brother had never left home at all. But he was religious and not relational. 
He was judgmental and angry and self-righteous and entitled and jealous and bitter and furious at his younger brother. He was blind to the love of the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 said, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest they should receive the word of truth and believe. And the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon them. He's blinded their minds just like he blinded the mind of the elder brother. People, we don't compare, but just living a good life doesn't mean that you're living in the love of the Father. Self-centered goodness is no better than self-centered badness. It isn't your goodness or your badness that's going to get you to heaven. It's whether or not you repent of your sins, you're born again, and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It's not your goodness and your badness. There are going to be good people and bad people in heaven and good people and bad people in hell. They're not going to be in either place because of their goodness or their badness. They're going to be there because they repented of their sins. They were converted, born again, and their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. There was a gardener that had an opportunity to come before the king. And he had grown this carrot that was the biggest and most beautiful carrot in his gardening life. He stood in line patiently and brought it before the king. He said, O king, out of respect and love, I give you the greatest, the biggest, and the most beautiful carrot that I've ever grown. The king accepted it and then said to him, Sir, I'm aware of your gardening, and I have a large plot of land connected to yours and I'm going to have them draw up the papers and give it to you free today. You'll never pay taxes on it. All I ask is that you garden it. There was a nobleman standing there that was a horse breeder. He said, can you imagine a worthless, sorry carrot, what he got? If I were to give him one of my pedigree stallions, what I would get in return? So he came before the king the next day and he gave him a black stallion and said, King, this is the greatest horse I have ever had. You can use it to reproduce a line of the greatest animals in the world. The king accepted it and then dismissed him quickly. His counselor gave him a strange look and the king said, The gardener expected nothing in return. But the nobleman expected a gift from the king. This story is played out in the two lives of these sons. One religious, not relational, the other wild and raging. But let me tell you, the law demands everything, but it gives you nothing. But grace demands nothing, but gives you everything. Hallelujah. 
You cannot earn what the Father freely gives. Can I ask you this question in closing today? Are you living outside of the Father's love? There was a young lady that lived in Traverse City, Michigan. Traverse City was the cherry capital of the world. Her name was Sarah. She was 16. Looked like she was 21. She came from a loving family, a great church, was part of a great youth group. They had recently taken an outing and a road trip, her youth group, to Detroit where the girls shopped and went sightseeing and the boys watched the Detroit Pistons play ball. She had visited Detroit on many occasions with her mother and father and loved it and longed for the big city life. Remember little Franklin standing on the chair, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. The prodigal, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. Sarah's looking out at Detroit in life going, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. She devised a plan to run away from home and settle in Detroit and pursue her destiny. She saved for a good time until she had the money to buy a bus ticket and the money to last her for a few weeks. She disembarked the bus under the watchful eyes of those who traffic in the sexual exploitation of young men and women. They didn't approach her, but they placed her under observation. They followed her. She secured a small room at a hotel, and the next day she began to search for employment. After days of fruitfulness, they turned into weeks, and after weeks her money was gone. She lost her room, found herself on the street. Night fell. She was alone, hungry, fearful, and cold. Her well-rehearsed plan had fallen apart. After days and nights of living on the street, she was approached by a well-dressed man who observed that she was underdressed for the cold weather they were having. He took her in a store, bought her clothes and a coat, took her to eat, got her a nice motel room in the same motel where he was staying, and he took care of her. She accompanied him in his nightlife. He gave her things that made her feel better than she had ever felt before, and she said to herself, this is what my parents have been hiding from me all of these years. Then one day, he entered the room with another man. This other man violated her, took advantage of her, abused her, and beat her. Then when he left, the well-dressed man came back in and said, it's time for you to pay up now. Time for you to go to work and pay for all of these nice things that I've given you. From that point on, they kept her prisoner, kept her drugged, kept her high. And there was a constant parade of men in and out of her room. Till finally, she had a deep cough in her chest. She had lost so much weight that she was skin and bones. She was sick beaten, abused, battered, used up, and they threw her out on the streets penniless with only the clothes on her back. She had put a little money in reserve and said, I know what I'll do. I'll call my dad and see if I can come home. She called him three times, and when she heard his voice, she just broke down in tears and couldn't say a word. She finally called a fourth time. She was going to do it this time, but got the voicemail. 
And she said, Dad, it's Sarah. I'm coming home. I don't even know if you'll accept me or even want to see me. But my bus arrives in Traverse City at 10.05 tomorrow night. If I see you, I'll get off the bus. If I don't, I'll just stay on the bus. Not knowing what to expect, the bus pulled in. And the first thing she saw stretched all across the outside of the building was a big sign. Welcome home, Sarah. There was her mother, her father, her siblings, her relatives, her pastor, her youth group, and they all had on party hats and noisemakers. And they were having a party. She disembarked from the bus, ready to apologize with a well-planned apology to her father, but he would have none of it. He said, there will be plenty of time for this later, but now it's time to have the greatest party that you've ever had. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.